All right, we are back. It appears that a lot of my friends on Facebook and elsewhere are concerned about the national poll showing Clinton's lead over Trump narrowing. This correspondent is quite skeptical about this because it doesn't really matter what people want to vote for in the red states that are going to go for Trump anyway. They can go for Trump 100%, and it won't change the overall national election. We don't elect presidents by a popular vote. We do it through the Electoral College. And so far... Clinton appears to be doing very well in the swing states, which are the key to the election. We're also curious about the fact that the CIA director, John Brennan, is warning us, warned us last week anyway, that Russia has exceptionally capable and sophisticated computer capabilities and that the U.S. must be on guard for hackers swinging the 2016 election. To which we have to add, you know, where was the CIA when, uh, when the Republicans stole the 2000 and 2004 elections? You think they'd be investigating that, except we think they were participating in it. But that's another story. And in other news from the CIA's director, <laughs> it was noted that um, he told CBS's Face the Nation on the 15th anniversary of the September 11th attacks that um, the U.S. government is now much better at sharing information. He praised Saudi Arabia as a good example of how foreign intelligence services can work against these terrorist organizations. <laughs> Think about that a minute. Saudi Arabia, whose government clearly had a role in the 9-11 attacks, is doing a great job in managing its intelligence. Uh-huh. Uh, last Friday, Congress sent President Obama a bipartisan bill that would allow families of September 11th victims to sue the government of Saudi Arabia. As you may recall, 15 of the 19 hijackers were Saudi nationals. The Obama administration has said that if U.S. citizens can take the Saudis to court, then a foreign country could in turn sue the U.S. Hmm, I guess that means Obama's giving thought to not signing it. Well, actually, I spoke before I read on in the article because, yeah, in fact, the White House has indicated that Obama would veto the measure because of the potential for it to backfire and because of apprehension about undermining a long-standing yet strained relationship with a critical U.S. ally in the Middle East. Yes, with allies like Saudi Arabia, you don't need enemies. And, as far as we know, efforts are continuing to release those 28 uh, impounded pages from the report on the 9-11 attacks that talk about the role of the Saudi government. And yes, let's make it clear, there was a role of the Saudi government. For further information on that, we refer you to Russ Baker's excellent site, whowhatwhy.com. Russ Baker will be coming to the local area in the not-too-distant future, and we hope to interview him again for this program. He's doing some good work out there. But uh, one final piece from our CIA's valiant director. He did note in an interview that that in the United States, drones are doing a great job of combating threats. He noted that drones were exceptionally powerful and capable means of taking kinetic actions against terrorists when it's called for. Yeah, this has got great potential. Apparently FedEx can deliver a package to you using a drone. Afterwards, they can put a weapon on it and take out some terrorists as soon as we can find them. Finding them sometimes is the hard part. And in other proposed bills, in this case down in Mexico, Opposition lawmaker Armando Rios Piter has proposed a bill that would let Mexico impound U.S.-bound funds if President Trump were to seize remittances from Mexicans in the U.S. to pay for his planned border wall. The legislation also states that Mexico could cancel treaties, including 
1848 Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which transferred to the U.S. the territory covering all of Texas, California, Nevada, Utah, as well as parts of New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Wyoming. Rios Peter said, this is the first step toward establishing a public policy about how Mexico should react in the face of a threat. Now, let's make it clear. Radio Parallax is not opposed to giving Texas back to Mexico. But we kind of think the rest of those mentioned states probably should remain in the United States. All right, and in other Trump-related news, apparently the two candidates for California um, Senate, Loretta Sanchez and Kamala Harris, have taken uh, pot shots at um, both for-profit universities and uh, specifics of Trump University. Loretta Sanchez is claiming that Kamala Harris, in her role as California Attorney General, failed to safeguard California residents from Donald Trump's now-defunct for-profit university. This drew a sharp rebuke from Harris's camp. Sanchez noted that um, about $6,000 in campaign contributions were received from Trump to the Harris camp were then later donated to charity. Sanchez, who is an Orange County congressman, called on Harris to immediately produce all documents regarding Trump University. Harris's campaign shot back, pointing to a Sacramento Bee article about Sanchez siding with for-profit colleges against the Obama administration while Harris was securing a $1.1 billion judgment from the now-defunct Corinthian colleges. A Harris spokesman said, this is an outrageously hypocritical attack from Loretta Sanchez. While Kamala Harris has been a national leader prosecuting these institutions, in Congress, Sanchez received thousands of campaign contributions from predatory for-profit colleges, shilled for their campuses, and even fought against rules to protect California students from the same bad actors. Ouch, that campaign is heating up. And, and regarding the same topic, Frontline started airing a two-part series. The first part aired on Tuesday about uh, for-profit colleges. The Week magazine notes that Frontline is taking a look at a corner of the educational industry that's been making empty promises, soaking up government funding, and miring students in heavy debt, like the 16,000 Americans left high and dry by the recent collapse of the Corinthian Colleges Network. And another bad news for for-profit colleges, it turns out that ITT, the company that operates ITT Technical Institutes, said it was permanently closing all its campuses nationwide, including a campus in Rancho Cordova. The company blamed the recent move by the U.S. Education Department to ban the for-profit college operator from enrolling new students who use federal financial aid. The shutdown will affect about 35,000 students who are preparing for the start of classes this month. And in other news involving financial shenanigans, how about Wells Fargo? Wells Fargo was fined $185 million, which I think is only 50% more than the bonus given to the person that was directing the activity, which involved employees illegally creating millions of secret accounts to meet sales goals and earn themselves bonuses. They apparently have fired 5,000 people at Wells Fargo for doing this. Apparently they would open an account, move a small amount of money into it, and show that, you know, that all this economic activity showed that people were opening up new accounts. We deserve a bonus. Then they would turn around and close the account and transfer the money back. Supposedly no money was stolen from customers of Wells Fargo, but who knows? They were also, by the way, opening up credit cards and then closing them for the same MO. Anyway, $185 million does sound like, a, you know, a pretty hefty fine. 
And yes, we, we cannot confirm the fact that the executive at Wells Fargo in charge of these shenanigans got a $124 million bonus, but that's what we've heard. You know, she alone could pay most of the cost of that fine. And uh, in yet more financial shenanigan news, we have the fact that lawmakers in Congress are calling this week for an investigation into the pharmaceutical firm Mylan amid public outcry over steep price hikes for its emergency auto injector, which is used to treat severe allergic reactions. The price of the device has increased 450% since 2004. It should be noted that the dosage in, in the single pen costs about $1. It's Mylan's proprietary pen injector that makes up the bulk of the cost. And we remain quite concerned over this issue of calcium supplements and the link to dementia. Article in the August 27th issue of New Scientist goes on about this at some length. As reported on this program, the latest finding about this is that calcium supplements taken by many women after the menopause to strengthen bones are linked to dementia because among women who have had a stroke, Taking calcium was associated with a seven-fold rise in the number who went on to have dementia. Now, of course, these findings don't prove that calcium supplements increase the risk of dementia, but it is worth taking a close look at this. The New Scientist piece notes that today, about two-thirds of people in the U.S. take a daily supplement. The, the adverts for such pills can be slick, often featuring celebrities testifying the to their benefits. But evidence in these cases is remarkably lacking. In the U.S. and U.K., there is, shamefully, said the article, no need for supplement makers to carry out trials showing that their products work. As with calcium, rather than just failing to do good, supplements may even be harmful. For instance, many people like taking antioxidants, including vitamins A, C, and E, and the mineral selenium, in the belief that they ward off cancer by blocking damaging oxidizing compounds produced by metabolism. But trials show that those taking antioxidants have a slightly higher death rate than those who don't. Ouch! The article by Claire Wilson concludes with the following. With the exception of folic acid, which trials have shown prevents birth defects if taken before and during pregnancy, many dietitians now say that supplements are no substitute for a healthy and varied diet. And by the way, speaking of weak bones, there's a study now that shows that antidepressants may be bad for the bones. People who take some selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors have been found to have a higher risk of fractures although it isn't clear whether this was due to the drug or to their depression. And I can't resist sounding off a little bit about these articles that are appearing in newspapers uh, everywhere, it seems, with titles like, New Men's Pleasure Pill Makes ED Remedies Obsolete. I'm not sure exactly what they're putting in, these, in this crap, but it's, it's claimed that it will increase your nitric oxide levels uh, like Viagra, but, but it does so much more cheaply. I think you should take note of the fact that at the bottom of these advertisings appearing everywhere, <laughs> there's the following disclaimer. These statements have not been evaluated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Results not typical. Well, there's a resounding endorsement. Anyway, erectile dysfunction is eminently treatable. I have a clinic that deals with this exact topic, and our success rate runs at well over 85%. What the success rate of these mail-order pills is, I'm, I'm not sure, but I would bet it's identical with that of placebo. 
All right, yeah, medicine is hard. I know two ways about it. Um, good old New Scientist had an article on the subject of how <laughs> treatments are sometimes reversed. Article titled Misguided Medicine by Kate Sukel on the August 27th issue deals with what they describe as medical about faces. A recent analysis of research published in online medical journals over the last 10 years identified 146 such reversals. The article notes to be clear that this is not just the process of upgrading advice as better evidence comes in. These are practices that became routine before we learned that they actually didn't work, and worse, before we knew if they could do harm. To give some examples of these reversals, we can start with hormone replacement therapy. The advice was that HRT would be provided to menopausal women. The rationale was, based on observational studies in animal trials, that it would have a protective effect on heart and bones. This was adopted at the point of giving it to millions of people in the 1990s. But the reversal came in 2002 when hormone replacement was found to increase the risks of breast cancer, heart disease, and stroke. At this point, the practice has been largely discontinued. Another example, heart stents. The advice was that people should get stents for coronary heart disease and angina. The rationale was there was a clear benefit in cases of heart attack. So those with stable heart disease, it was thought, should benefit too. This was adopted as a commonplace procedure, certainly by the year 2004, but the reversal currently underway is based on the fact that stents are shown not to reduce the risks for future heart attacks or death and may cause harm. Another example, intensive blood sugar lowering for type 2 diabetes. The advice has been that diet and drugs should be used to get long-term blood sugar metrics, which is glycosylated hemoglobin, below 7%. The rationale cited for this was a 1997 study, although it certainly predates this, which found lower risks for heart attack at this 7% level. The aim became to lower it, and with the rationale being the lower, the better. By the early 2000s, uh, the advice widespread in medicine was to lower your glycosylated hemoglobin to under 7%. But... In 2008, a study found that trying to keep levels too low increased the risk of death. Aiming for the 7%, aiming now for the 7% level is seldom advised. It's a worthwhile article. I hope you check it out. To quote a couple paragraphs from it, which I think is worth, uh, worth our time today, it notes that the medical journals are filled with interesting ideas that get tested and fail. They were quoting, in this case, Adam Sifu at the University of Chicago, who wrote a book, called Ending Medical Reversal. He goes on to say, the problem is when that new technology or treatment or surgery has gotten out and is being given to millions of people before it's found not to work. Virginia Moyers, who develops guidelines for the American Board of Pediatrics, notes that much of what we do in medicine is theory-based. It's only relatively recently that good quality evidence has been available for many things. The article notes that this is no small concern. An analysis by BMJ Clinical Evidence of 3,000 common medical practices categorized half as having, quote, unknown effectiveness, unquote, and 3% as likely to be ineffective or harmful. Only a third were found to be beneficial or likely to be beneficial. And they taught me back in medical school that, you know, 10% of what they were teaching us was wrong. They weren't sure, however, which 10% that was. Some people say the figure is more like 50%. And the fact is, it may well be. And you know, this might be a good time to take a short break, so let's do so. I'm Douglas Everett.
this is radio parallax.